0: Now, I know some of you are thinking, wow, that seems like an odd, an odd thing for a pastor to wear on Christmas Eve and uh, maybe even inappropriate, but you don't know the half of it because I have served at churches where the pastors wear these big black robes and stoles, which are like scarves, but not as cool, and, and, uh, and we wear them every week. So what in the world would we wear on Christmas Eve? Well, we wear those big robes, and then uh, these they're called academic hoods, and they hang down. They're made out of velvet and satin and colors, and they come down. And, and if I walked in with one of these, oh my gosh, I, it might be the last Christmas Eve I was there. So I'm going to get to this in a minute uh, and keep you waiting. But uh, I want to... I want us to uh, ask a question. What makes Christmas real? Have you, ever, have you ever had the feeling, ah, this Christmas feels artificial to me? Uh, what makes Christmas real? Partly it's the traditions that we have and the lights and the music and the meals and the gifts and even Christmas Eve services. As a boy, I didn't pay much attention uh, to Uh, all the traditions of Christmas, mainly I was just interested in Christmas presents, right? So uh, until the year I was 11, uh, 11 years old, and my dad broke one of the family traditions. And it made my brain shout, our Christmas isn't real. And um, I had to do something about it before my dad ruined Christmas. Uh, So let me tell you a little bit about my family. I'm the youngest of four brothers, and when I was 11, uh, they were 18, 21, and 25, so quite a spread. And growing up, my mom taught uh, at Granada Hills High School, right over the hill, uh, and my dad had been a detective with the LAPD for 20 years. Uh, By the time I was 11, my dad was a retired policeman, but he was still in security. He still worked nights. Um, and he never talked about his work. I know two stories about my dad's work with the LAPD. I can't tell them in uh, polite conversation. Um, And I can't imagine the kinds of pressures he was under as a policeman and the kind of issues he dealt with as a detective or the kinds of memories he lived with. And with a name like Naibo, uh, he was Norwegian, and uh, inhibited by nature, I would say, emotionally. Uh, He just didn't show his emotions. So when it came to Christmas, my dad was in charge of two things, putting up the Christmas tree and buying one present for my mom. Does that sound familiar? Um, My mom did everything else. Uh, Truth be told, my mom was a saint. I mean, here she was, a high school teacher Uh, And school often didn't end until right before the 24th, uh, and uh, she had all the shopping, the cooking, the decorating, the present wrapping to do on top of running a household with four boys and a husband. And now that I look back, I wonder how she got anything done, how she had a chance to buy presents, much less wrap them, put them under a tree. But it all seemed to work out every year until my 11th Christmas. Instead of buying a regular tree at a tree lot, my dad brought in from the garage an alternative Christmas tree. Now, it wasn't even a real artificial tree, the kind that we're thinking of, right? The kind we talk about. It was wooden. I can't even explain it. I have to show it to you. Here, this is, this was my dad's Christmas tree. Uh, after my dad retired from the LAPD, he became a crafter, uh, and he made wooden tables and whirly gigs and the kinds of things we'd find on Etsy today, right? All those kind of crafty things, including these trees. And when I was 11, he made a four-foot tall one, uh, wooden tree, and he put it in our living room instead of going and getting a real tree, the tree that we got every year. It was awful. Just look at it. You can't put regular lights or ornaments on it. Uh, no tinsel. These tiny little things, I don't even know. You would think that an 11-year-old wouldn't care. Uh, if my presents fit under that tree, you should think that would be all that mattered. But for some reason, that wooden tree really bothered me. It touched a nerve. That fake wooden tree was the tipping point for me that I had to admit. My family's Christmas is not real. It's fake. Now, my, man, my family was many things, but healthy conversationalists, we were not. Um, that Christmas, my father didn't gather us around the fireplace and explain this new wooden tree that he had gotten for us, and I didn't go and ask him about it. I mean, I did what most of us do when, we, then when there's misunderstandings or challenging situations. I got quiet. And mad, right? Isn't that what we often do? I just quietly hated that tree. It was fake. It wasn't even a good artificial tree. It was wooden, and it made Christmas fake. And something had to be done about it. And I was just the 11-year-old to do it. Now, I kind of have a feeling that the Charlie Brown Christmas special was influencing me. Because back then, in the 60s, they showed it every year. And Charlie Brown saved Christmas. And if Charlie Brown could save Christmas, I could save Christmas too. Um, So I took matters into my own hands. Now, the only reason I could imagine that my dad would make a wooden tree was that for some reason my parents couldn't afford a real tree that year. It's the only thing I could come up with. So I decided to help. Remember, I'm 11. I have no idea where I got the money. I don't know which one of my brothers drove me, but we went to a Christmas tree lot and I bought a real Christmas tree. And uh, when my dad was at work and my mom was busy, I moved my real tree into the living room and I moved that wooden stick contraption into the corner. (laughs) Now you might ask, where were my brothers? when I was doing this. I have no idea, but I'm guessing that they all arranged to be at friends' houses when my dad got home <laughs> and saw his tree stuck in the corner. So let me ask the question again, what makes Christmas real? Is it the real tree I brought, I bought and I brought home and put in the living room, or is it something else? I couldn't wait for my dad to get home. After all, I was helping. Uh, I spent my own money. Uh, So, well, my dad did get home. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't know what he thought. I'm thinking maybe my mom cut him off in the driveway and told him, you know, what was going on. And certainly, this was not the worst thing any one of these four boys had ever done, right? Uh, And uh, I just don't know. Nothing happened. Nothing was said. We didn't have a lot of conversation. We didn't talk. And I don't mean we, we didn't talk much. I mean, we don't talk. So I, I just don't know. Um, but I lived to tell about it, so it couldn't have been too bad a reaction. But for years, I remembered that Christmas as the year Neil saved Christmas. <laughs> that was my tree. I, I made that happen. I can look back now as an adult and as a father, and I think that wooden tree may have had uh, more meaning to my dad than I realized. He'd taken up woodworking after retiring from the LAPD, and I suppose he used his crafty creativity as an outlet to cope with everything that he had to deal with as a policeman and as a father of four boys being raised in the 60s. And um, I already said my dad was a man of few words. Uh, Well, he had even fewer physical demonstrations of positive affection. And his Norwegian blood, along with growing up in Stoic, Minnesota, and during the Depression, uh, you know, it left him with few, if any, ways to communicate positive emotion. Uh, I look back now and I see that his woodworking may have become his voice for communicating the love that he didn't have words for. Every time my mom asked him to build a table, Or a flower stand or a whirly gig for the women's club or for our backyard. My dad would go out into the garage and he'd come out with something beautiful. Exactly what my mom wanted. And when we moved to Simi Valley, I got married. My wife and I moved to Simi Valley 20, almost 25 years ago now. We bought an antique dining room table that had room for four feet of extensions. But no leaves came with it. And my dad measured it this odd shaped thing and he made four leaves that fit perfectly we've used it for 25 years it's it's set up the dining room table with his leaves today for christmas eve or for christmas dinner tomorrow now i look back at that early christmas with the wooden trees and i've begun to wonder if i really am the hero of that story Remember I said the extent of my dad's contribution to Christmas was buying my mom a present and setting up the tree. What if that year, instead of buying a tree, my dad decided to make a tree in his workshop for his family, a whimsical one that would be his contribution to our family's Christmas, and I shoved it in the corner to make room for my real What makes Christmas real? Partly it's the kindnesses that we do towards one another and towards strangers. And the more those kindnesses come from the heart, whether they are gifts or cookies or caroling or donations to someone ringing a bell at Target, the more real they make the season. Looking back now, I see that my 11-year-old Christmas may have been one of the most real Christmases I've ever had. Not because I bought a real tree, and saved Christmas. No, it was because my father built a tree for the family out of love, and then he didn't get upset with me when I shoved it in the corner. Wow. My father loved me enough to let me have the tree I wanted, even if it wasn't the tree he had built, and even if I hurt his feelings doing it. He let his tree get shoved in the corner so my tree could take center stage. That was the day my father saved Christmas. Love makes Christmas real. And not just sentimental love. Self-giving love makes Christmas real. It's the kind of love that gives of itself for the sake of others, even when we have to sacrifice some of ourselves, our egos, our wants. That's what my dad did. That's what makes Christmas real. Love made the first real, made that first Christmas real. And it couldn't be anything else because it was self-giving love that brought Jesus to earth on the first Christmas Eve. Many of us are familiar with this verse in the Bible. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, just a couple of pages before that, these words are written. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And when we put these two verses together, we learn the core truth of Christmas Eve. God loves every person, including each one of us. So much that God sent his own son to be born as a human baby and live among us and everyone who believes in him has real, everlasting, forever life. That is the core. The heart of Christmas Eve. The heart of Christmas faith. Do we believe that today? As Christians, do we model that self-giving love is the heart of our faith? Today, There's a lot that gets wrapped up around the core of that heart, a lot of expectations by a lot of people. Uh, There are problems and inconsistencies and even hypocrisy in the church and among its leaders that hide the core of love. In so many ways, the heart of the Christmas message has gotten so covered up that it's hard to see, and sometimes it's even hard to believe, but at its core, Jesus' message And the message of Christmas is love that gives of itself, even sacrificially. And that's where the baseball shirt comes in. It's an illustration of how we can miss the message of love. Actually, it's not so much about the baseball shirt as it is about the baseball. Have you ever seen the core of a baseball? Uh, It looks like that. The core and the heart of the baseball look nothing like a baseball, the core, the heart of it. If you took the center of the baseball and the baseball itself and held them up together, you might not believe they're two parts of the same thing. The outside and the inside have almost nothing in common. Unfortunately, in the world today, some people would say the same thing about Christmas and Christianity. Hold up the self-giving, ever-even sacrificial love of God demonstrated by the baby in the manger and hold up that event next to the church or history or the way Christians live today, and it might be hard to believe that they're both part of the same thing. So let's go back to the real in a real Christmas. It's love, not just emotional love self-giving, even sacrificial love. We feel it on Christmas whether we ever go to church any other time of the year. And Christmas Eve is one of the two bookends to this story of sacrificial, self-giving love. The other bookend is Holy Week. When Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead on Easter morning, without Easter, there would be no worship of God on Christmas. Put them together and they represent the greatest expression of love ever in the History of human beings. Angels descended and shouted, Glory to God in the highest because of it. At the core, the heart of it all is unconditional, sacrificial, unending, self giving love. Love so great that one verse in the Bible puts it this way. Paul was praying for his people and he said, I pray that you can grasp how wide and long and high and deep God's love really is and that you may know this love, though. It's unknowable. And this is where the shirt comes in. I am not a baseball player. I don't know who's number 38. And I don't know if that's his signature or not. If I ever go to a baseball game, which isn't very often, I'm more interested in what food is being served at the concession stand than what the teams are doing on the field. Uh, And... This is a baseball shirt with me at its core. Yikes. That I look and act nothing like baseball. So imagine how skewed an impression someone would have of baseball if I was the only one they knew that they learned anything from about baseball. Of course, I can take off the shirt, but we can't take off our faith. Each of us individually and all of us collectively are the cover of the Christmas baseball or the Christmas shirt. Are we doing a reasonable job of communicating the self-giving love at the heart of our faith? How accurate an impression of God's love would someone have if we were all they learned about? We were the only ones that they learned about Christianity. Would they have an accurate view of that core of love? hold up self-giving, even sacrificial love of God demonstrated by the baby in the manger, hold that up next to us. Did the two look the same? So it's love that leads us to our Christian traditions, family gatherings, gifts being exchanged, and attending services like this one. Just like it was love that led my father to build the wooden tree and place it in our living room on my 11th Christmas. If I could, I would tell my dad, thank you for that tree and for the love it represented. But I'll be honest with you, I would also give him a couple of suggestions that I'm going to give to you instead. We already know them, but think of these as reminders on how best to connect the cover with the core, the shirt with the heart. First, use your words. Use your words. I'm grateful to look back and find my dad's love in that wooden tree. But as an 11-year-old, I would have loved it if he had used his words, if he had taken me out into his garage while he was building that tree and he would tell me about that tree and how much it meant to him to be giving it to the family, that it was his way of saying I love you. That would have been amazing. I just didn't understand the meaning of his actions without the explanation of his words. Don't underestimate the power and importance of our words. Others may not be able to interpret our actions if we don't use our words to explain them. God used his words when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus used his words when he said, as I have loved you, you love one another. So use your words, and secondly, use your actions. People say actions speak louder than words, and I think that's true. I was at home last week when I got a call from my wife. She works in a preschool class with other aides and teachers, and it was the last day of school before Christmas break, and they had forgotten a present for the school secretary who helps them you know, all through the year. Now, they could have said, eh, well, next year, and they could have gone and told her how much they appreciated her. But they knew actions speak louder than words. She called me and asked me to go get a Starbucks gift card and a Christmas card to put it in. She and her coworkers know that actions speak louder than words. It's great to know that God so loved the world. It's even greater to know that he acted on that love and gave his son. Jesus used his actions and gave his life for us on the cross. He used words of love. That's nice. We're here today because Jesus used his actions by coming on Christmas and going to the cross on Good Friday and rising from the dead on Easter. Thank God for those actions. And finally, I would tell my dad and myself and you, use your words and actions. Tell someone you love them and show them, and not just your family, not just at Christmas. How about your coworkers? at work? throughout the year, and in the community, our neighbors. Take it from an 11-year-old. They'll probably appreciate your actions more if they come with words. I'll finish by going back to the baseball and its core, its heart. There's a lot about Christianity that much of the world doesn't appreciate. But Christian or not, all of us, I think, say it's wonderful to at least one time a year celebrate love. We can all agree on that. At its core, the message of Jesus is love. If you leave here with nothing else, leave with Jesus' sacrificial love. Take it with you into Christmas tomorrow and the world next week. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son who became flesh and lived among us so that all who believe in him can have everlasting life. So I just have a next step for all of us as we head out to Christmas tomorrow morning and into the world next week. This week, use words and actions to communicate your love to family, to friends, and even a stranger or two. You know, they say love is contagious. We can all catch it. Jesus came so that we could have abundant life now and for eternity. If you want to catch that love, live that life, a good way to start would be to pray in silence as I pray this prayer. Let's pray.